Okay, we're going to read from um, Hebrews 5, verses 1 to 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as, those, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks, Fiona. Um, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, it's probably the first time since kind of the announcement. It all sounds very official, doesn't it? But um, that I've got, I've had the opportunity to be able to stand and um, say thank you on behalf of, of Jane and I, um, just for your encouragements, your prayers, not just in the last few weeks, but uh, over these past five years of us being involved in this church family. We are very thankful for uh, you guys, uh, we're very thankful for the encouragement you give us, um, and we're looking forward to tonight. Um, as John said, an evening with the McCluggages. Um, usually an evening with the McCluggages is quite a boring one, but um, I'm being told tonight might be quite exciting and interesting. Uh, someone did text me this week and ask, am I taking any piano requests, or is it a candlelit dinner, or what are we, what are we talking? But um, it's maybe games, yeah, maybe. Um, but... Yeah, we're looking forward, Jane and I, to tonight, uh, if you can make it along. Um, as John said, we're making our way through the book of Hebrews at the minute, and we're coming close to our halfway point. Um, and each week we've been thinking about how Jesus Christ is better, better than all that has come before. Not any of it was bad, the old covenant, um, but that Jesus Christ far surpasses and eclipses all of it. And we've come to this point in chapter 5 where the writer introduces the idea of Jesus being the better high priest, our great high priest, better than any high priest before him. Now, unless you've come from a certain church background or, or cultural context, maybe the idea of priests and a priesthood is something that's quite unfamiliar to you. But when we think of a, of a priest in their role, we're thinking of one of a representative a human representative, someone who stands in the place of others, represents them. And we see this idea of a representative and the need for a representative in lots of areas of life. Think of the American election this week. It's been hard to get away from it. But the people are voting for a representative, a human representative who will stand for the people, express their views, make decisions on their behalf. Think of Marcus Rashford, the English football player. 
He's been given an MBE recently for his role in representing underprivileged children all across the UK. Children who were needing fed during the school holidays. Rashford acting as their representative before the government and the politicians, giving those children a voice. Think of a courtroom scene even. The victim or the accused, they need someone to represent them before the judge. It's crucial that they have a solicitor or a lawyer, someone who will be their representative in the case. But much more pressing and urgent than any of those examples that I've given is the need that we all have for a representative before God. We desperately need someone to stand before him in our place. Because the Bible tells us that as human beings, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Fallen short of his glorious standard for life. Romans 3 verse 23 says this. All of us, me included, we have turned away from God, our loving creator. We've rejected his rule and authority in our lives. And because of that, because of our sin, we all fall under God's right and just judgment. See, God is a holy God. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And so because of our sinfulness, we are cut off from him. It was never the way things were meant to be. We were always meant to be with God, flourish in life forever with him. But Isaiah 59 verse 2 says that sin, our sin, has created this great divide between us and God. And you might think, well, so what? Why does that matter? And it matters because God is the giver of life. And to be separated from him means to be cut off from our life source. And we experience some of the effects of that separation from God now in our world, in our lives right now. It's why life is broken and messy. It's why the world is the way it is. And it's why our lives ultimately end in death. But the Bible makes it clear that there will come a day when we will experience the full effects of that separation from God. When we will be cut off from him forever in eternity. It's a sad and it's a bleak picture for all of us. And there is absolutely nothing that any of us can do to change it. No amount of good works can restore that relationship with God. We need God to fix the problem. We desperately need God to provide a representative, someone who will stand in that gap between us and him, someone who will deal with our sinfulness and offer the way for us to be made right with him and connected to our source of life again. But who will that person be? Well, this is where we begin to understand the significance of our passage in Hebrews chapter five today, the importance of the priests in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Covenant, the representative that God gave was the earthly high priest. And that's where the writer starts in our passage today in verses one to four. 
He helps us understand who this high priest was. He helps us understand the role that he played in connecting the people with God and representing them before God. So let's look at the earthly high priest. Now we're given kind of some background and I want to help us understand a little bit more of this. Um, Israel could trace a succession of high priests right throughout their history. There were 12 tribes in Israel. And one of those 12 tribes was the tribe of Levi, and they were the tribe of priests. So in order to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. And also, you had to be a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, and he was the first high priest in the Aaronic priesthood. Now, according to Hebrews 5, there are three important features of any high priest. Look at verse 1. See his solidarity, or his oneness with his people. Aaron and every other high priest who came after him were men chosen from among men. And that's because, as we've seen already, his primary role was to represent the people, his people, before God by offering gifts and sacrifices for sins on their behalf. It had to be a man representing men before God. It had to be a man who would stand in that gap, who would atone for the sins of the people. And atone just means to pay the price or to make amends for sins. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the way that that atonement happened was through an animal sacrifice. A lamb or a goat or a bull that was unblemished, it acted as the substitute for the people. It was killed and its blood was shed on the altar, and it was sacrificed before God. And in doing that, in dying in the place of the people, it took the punishment that they deserved for their sins. It atoned for their sins, made them right with God. Hopefully you're all still with me. Now there was a a, a special day that happened once a year in the history of Israel, and it was called the Day of Atonement. You can read about it in Leviticus 16. And on that day, it was so significant because it was the day whenever a sacrifice was made by the priest, the high priest, which atoned for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. Everyone. It was a sacrifice that was repeated annually. And it was a sacrifice that could only be carried out by the high priest. He was the human representative given by God to stand for the people. The second important feature of the earthly high priest is seen in verses two and three. Look at it with me. He has a sympathy for his people. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. The ideal earthly high priest was someone who had a disposition of gentleness towards his people, compassion, kindness towards them. If you came to the high priest for advice, if you were struggling for sins, with sins, sorry, or for him to administer his priestly duties and offer a sacrifice for your sins, you could be sure that he would deal with you in a kind and measured and gentle way. And this was because of two reasons. Verse 3 says it's because of an awareness of his own sinfulness. He too was a sinner, just like everyone else. 
And knowing this was at the very root of his gentleness with the people. But the second reason was because he experienced weakness, just like the people he represented. Look at verse 2. He was beset with weakness because of his human nature. He was sometimes ill. He endured times of hardship. He was subject to the pains and struggles of aging. He made mistakes. He grew weary and tired. He struggled with temptations, just like any other human being. And because of his humanity, the high priest's time in office was only a temporary one. He, like all of us, like all of the people of Israel, his greatest limitation was that his life on this earth one day came to an end. He would one day die and have to have a replacement be appointed in his place. So when bringing these two things together, an awareness of his own sinfulness and an awareness of his own weakness, he could identify with the people he represented. He had sympathy for them. And verse 4 gives us the final important feature of the high priest. He was chosen by God for this unique position. All priests in Israel, right from the beginning with Aaron, were called by God. It was a divinely appointed position. And you were in big trouble if you tried to take the honor upon yourself. There are a few examples in the Old Testament of people who took it upon themselves to fulfill the role that only a priest could fulfill. Korah and his men in Numbers 16, they tried to act as priests and the ground opened up and swallowed them whole. King Isaiah in 2 Chronicles 26, he went into the Holy of Holies, even though he wasn't a priest, and offered a sacrifice. And immediately he came out in leprosy and died as a leper. It didn't end well for anyone who tried to make themselves a high priest because the position wasn't a career, it was a calling. The high priest was selected by God and it was a beautiful picture in the history of Israel of how God had been so merciful, so kind in providing the way for sins to be atoned for, in providing the way for his people to be brought back into relationship with him again. But as beautiful as the picture was, it was never going to be a perfect one. The earthly high priest was a limited human representative. And there are three reasons we can see why from these verses. Look back at verse 3. The first problem was that he was a sinner like everyone else. So on the Day of Atonement, in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 6, we see that the high priest had to offer sacrifices for himself for his sins and the sins of his family before he did for the sins of the people. He was someone who could never fully take away the sins of the the people. He could never do it completely. Which leads to the second problem, the atonement for sins which he could provide was only temporary in the effect it has. We'll look at this later in Hebrews, but in Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 4, it talks more about how these sacrifices by the high priest had to be offered daily. The Day of Atonement was an occasion which had to take place each year. The problem with animal sacrifices was that they could never fully take away sins forever. Limited in the atonement. 
And the last limitation with the old covenant high priest was that just like every other human being, he one day died and would have to be replaced by another sinner. And the cycle would just continue. High priest after high priest after high priest. So as good as the old covenant high priest was, it was never going to be an office that was perfect. They could never off, offer sorry, a full and forever atonement for sins. We needed a better solution to our great problem of sin. We need a better representative before God. Someone who is qualified as a high priest in every way, yet someone who is completely sinless. Someone who could offer a perfect, once-for-all sacrifice for sins, which never had to be repeated again, atoning for sins forever, and offering the way to be made right with God forever. Hugh, Jesus Christ, as the writer says in verse 5, so also Christ. This is where the writer, after doing all this kind of theological groundwork and helping us understand the significance of the high priest, he then shifts our focus to Jesus to show us how Jesus really is qualified in every single way as a high priest, how he meets every requirement, but yet he is better. He eclipses and surpasses all who came before him. He is our great high priest. And the writer says, let me show you how. Starting in verse five, he says, Jesus is a better high priest because he is our eternal high priest. Look at verse five and six. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Just like all the other high priests who came before, Jesus was chosen by God for the position. He didn't put himself forward. It was his father who selected him. And that's what the line, you are my son today, I have begotten you, is saying. It's a direct quote from Psalm 2, verse 7. A psalm which makes the link between God's anointed king being his son. Now, that might sit fine with us. Jesus Christ, the son of God, being God's anointed king, but also being God's appointed high priest. But it would have raised a big question mark for the Jewish listeners. Because in Jewish history, never before had a king been given the office of high priest. As we said earlier, all high priests had to come from the line of Levi. They had to be a descendant of Aaron. But Jesus, he was from the line of Judah, the line of kings. Jesus wasn't a descendant of Aaron. So how then can Jesus be our great high priest? How can he be, if he's not from the line of Levi, and if he's not a descendant of Aaron, how can he be a king as well as a high priest? Unless Jesus was appointed by God from a new priesthood of kings, which is where our second verse makes sense. It's a quote from Psalm 110, verse 4, 
you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's so much to say on this mystery man, Melchizedek, who he is, where he's appeared in the Bible before. All of that is going to be covered in so much more detail in chapter 7 of Hebrews. But all that we need to know this morning is this. Melchizedek was almost a symbolic kind of pointer to a priesthood of kings, an eternal priesthood, one which had no beginning and no end, one which would last forever. And what Melchizedek symbolized, the writer says, Jesus realized and embodied. Jesus was given a special appointment by God his Father, not to just be a king, but to be our great high priest. And not only that, he was selected to the eternal office of priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He would be a priest eternally, our representative before God forever. Jesus is better because Jesus is our eternal high priest. But the writer also says that Jesus is better because he is our obedient high priest. Just like all the high priests of the old covenant, Jesus is qualified for the role because he really was a man representing men before God. Jesus was fully man. Look at verses 7 and 8. The writer gives us the evidence of that here. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus is a fully human representative. He understands fully, completely, what it means to be a human being. We can sometimes think of Jesus Christ as being some kind of superhuman, immune to real human suffering and struggles like me, out of touch with the human emotions that I feel, unaware of what it feels like as a human to face temptations like I do. But as we've seen in Hebrews already, that's just not the case. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 2.17 says that Jesus was made like us in every way. Jesus experienced every ounce of human nature. Yet, unlike any other human being in history, unlike, unlike any other earthly high priest, Jesus was completely sinless in his human nature. He never deviated from the path that God set for him. He was fully obedient in every moment of his life on earth to God his Father. That's what verse 8 is saying to us. It's a confusing verse. What does it mean? Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Well, it's not that Jesus was somehow disobedient and needed to learn obedience. It just doesn't match up with what the writer has been saying. What the writer means is that Jesus had to be tested and proven in his obedience. Jesus had to prove his sinlessness 
through living out a perfectly obedient life as a human being on earth. See, as God's son, Jesus Christ has always for all eternity known and accepted and been willing to obey the will of his, of his father and his plan for salvation. Jesus has always for all eternity known and accepted that he was going to have to be the perfect human representative for the people before God. Jesus has always for all eternity known and accepted that he would have to die as the perfect sacrifice for the people to fully atone for their sins forever. And Jesus always knew and has eternally accepted that in doing that, he would be taking the full force of God his Father's wrath and judgment for sin on himself. That he would have to be, for the first time ever in his life, separated from God and his love. But you know, knowing that, and accepting that, and being willing to obey that, didn't go far enough. To be our high priest, Jesus Christ had to show his obedience to the Father and his will. Jesus had to live out that obedience through experiencing a whole life of being a human being. He had to prove his sinlessness through enduring a life of suffering and testing as a human. Right from womb to tomb, all of it, moment by moment, learning what it means to be perfectly obedient to his Father and his plan for salvation. And in verse 7 in our text, we get probably one of the most climactic points in Jesus' learning obedience through suffering. It's almost like the writer has gone through the photo album of Jesus' life. And he's flicked through looking for the example of where Jesus is experiencing every ounce of his human nature. One where Jesus is wrestling against all of his human emotions. And he's as close as he could ever be to breaking point in obeying his father. And as the writer comes across the picture of the Garden of Gethsemane, he stops and he says this one. This is the one I will show them. Turn with me to Mark 14, verses 33 onwards, because I want to see I want us to see the intensity of Jesus Christ's experience as a human being here. How deeply his obedience through suffering was being tested in these moments. It's the night before Jesus' death on the cross. The time when he goes with a few of his disciples to pray to his Father in heaven. Asking his Father in heaven to help him stay obedient to the course. Verse 33, it says that Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. What he's feeling here are real and authentic human emotions. Verse 34, he lets the disciples know how overwhelmed he really is. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. The pain and the anguish that he is feeling right now are so deep, he says he could die. He is overcome with sadness. Verse 35, and going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. 
Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus looks ahead to the cross, to the cup of God's wrath being poured out on him. And he's terrified. Tears flowing down his cheeks. If you've ever wondered if Jesus Christ understands the pain and the suffering that you're experiencing in life right now, if you've ever wondered if Jesus really cares about the struggles and the temptations that you are facing, look at him in the garden, face down, pleading with his Father, fully dependent on him to provide him with the strength that he needs to keep going right to the end. And think about why he is going through all this. It's so that he can be our great high priest. It's so that he can secure a better salvation for you and for me. And so deep is Jesus' humanity that he cries out, Father, if there is any other way for this cup to pass over me, if there is any other way for salvation to be achieved, please, but not my will, but yours be done. Do you see the obedience of our great high priest, Jesus Christ? Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to submit to the will of his Father, even if it meant suffering and dying on a cross. Philippians 2, 6-8 says this, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was willing to empty himself, to let go of his divine rights as God's son, to leave the glory of heaven and come to this earth, to become a human being like you and like me, to accept a life full of limitations, struggles, weaknesses, suffering, even to experience death on a cross, all to show his resolute and unwavering obedience to his Father, his absolute commitment to see through his plan for our salvation right to the end. Jesus is our obedient high priest, our sinlessly obedient high priest, proving that Jesus really is our perfect high priest our perfect human representative before God. Look at verses nine and 10. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The perfect and complete obedience of our sinless high priest Jesus Christ has secured a better salvation an eternal salvation, a salvation that no other high priest could ever offer. Jesus' sinless perfection proves that he doesn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sins like all the other covenant, old covenant high priests had to. But rather Jesus himself 
He can offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for sins. He can be the one who stands in the gap between us and God, providing atonement for sins which is all-sufficient, which is everlasting. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says that Jesus' death on the cross is the perfect, eternal, once-for-all sacrifice for sins, which offers us the way back to God forever. Jesus is our perfect representative before God because Jesus is our perfect high priest, the source of our eternal salvation. What incredible news this morning. That bleak picture that I shared at the start, look at how it has changed because of Jesus the source of our eternal salvation. What will our response be to this news though? Well, verse nine says that there is only one appropriate response to news like this. Obedience. It seems fitting, doesn't it, that eternal salvation that Jesus Christ offered is for Anyone who is willing to obey him. Anyone willing to trust him completely with their life. Anyone willing to say in every moment of life, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. This is the repeated call of the book of Hebrews. To live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ, our priest and king. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you're someone who follows Jesus Christ, is your life marked by obedience to Jesus? In every way, in every aspect of life, with your finances, with your time, in all of your relationships, are you being obedient to Jesus? Are you choosing to be obedient to Jesus over your own comfort and security? Are you choosing to be obedient to Jesus by living a life of sexual purity? Will you choose to be obedient to Jesus no matter how hard life gets? No matter where obedience takes you? Jesus Christ never calls us to follow him where he hasn't already gone. He knows how costly obedience is. He knows how difficult a road it is because he has walked that road himself. He has walked it even to death on a cross. So will you know today that wherever Jesus calls you to go in obedience to him, your great high priest has gone before you he is our great example. Obedience to him may cost you your reputation. It may cost you a relationship. It might even cost you your job. It will almost certainly cost you a comfortable life. But will you still trust Jesus? That the life he offers is better than anything this world can offer. 
Obedience to Jesus might even someday cost us our life. It does for some people in this world. But will we still trust Jesus? Knowing that the life he offers will last forever, eternally. There's no doubt that living this life of obedience is overwhelming at times. There will be times along the way where we doubt whether Jesus Christ and his plans are best for us. There will almost certainly be times where we stray from the path of obedience. But in those moments, when the guilt or shame or doubts come in, will you look to Jesus Christ, your sympathetic high priest? He's not just our example, but Jesus Christ is our Savior, our Redeemer. He's the one who makes living a life of obedience possible. Because Jesus Christ, he knows the struggles that we face. He's experienced them in the past for us. And he shoulders them in the present with us. He's always with us. Always there to help us. Always will deal gently with us. He ever lives to intercede for you. It's an incredible thought. Jesus Christ, your great high priest, is in heaven today, right now. He is in the very throne room of God, pleading for you, praying for you, strengthening you by his spirit. Look to him today. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And maybe you're someone who's here this morning or you're listening in and you've never trusted in Jesus with your life. I want to say to you this morning, there is no better day than today. Without Jesus, we all stand under God's judgment. Without Jesus, we are hopeless for eternity. But with Jesus, the great high priest, he he stands under God's judgment for us. He takes the punishment that we deserve for our sins on himself on the cross. He experienced death so that we can know everlasting life. This is the eternal salvation that Jesus Christ offers to you today. And all Jesus requires of you is that you trust him. That's where a life of obedience begins, trusting Jesus. And you know, if you come to Jesus today with nothing to offer him, but a heart that is willing to receive him, a heart that is asking for forgiveness, Jesus Christ promises that he will deal gently with you. He is a high priest who is sympathetic, understanding. He won't be harsh or condemning. He doesn't recoil away from us in our sinfulness. He moves towards us. He reaches out his hand and welcomes us in. That is our perfect high priest the source of our eternal salvation. So will you trust him today? Will you come to him today? Let me pray for us. Father God, we 
thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for how your word encourages us, challenges us. It pierces right to our soul, helps us to see how desperate our situation really is without Jesus Christ. How we desperately need Jesus Christ as our perfect representative before you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willingness, his obedience, his absolute commitment to see through your perfect plan for our salvation, to see it right through to the end. Lord, thank you your son Jesus Christ experienced death on the cross so that we can experience life forever in eternity. And I pray, Lord, today that if there is any of us in this room who feels the shame or the, the guilt of having strayed from Jesus Christ in obedience to him, Lord, I pray that today they will see that Jesus is a high priest who deals gently with us. He is sympathetic towards us. He understands our weakness. And he offers us the way to be forgiven and made whole again. To be brought back onto that path of obedience again. And Lord, if any of us in this room today have not yet put our trust in Jesus, well, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today will be the day that they take hold of that eternal salvation that only you can offer. And they put their trust in you. Father, you are such a gracious and merciful God. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank that you've made the way for us to be brought back to you again. And we pray all these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen.